Greetings with lovers everywhere. I'm Etrain. Welcome to Etrain Talks. I'm a 12-year-old literacy and kindness advocate, podcast host, and booktuber. And here on Etrain Talks, I love talking about diverse and inspiring books. And these two stories right here by my guest today are truly the definition of amazing, inspirational, and heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time. Today, I just want to take a moment to say thank you to my guest, who was born in a small town in northern Mexico and moved to San Antonio as a child. She studied physics and worked as an engineer before pursuing her love of storytelling. She's so passionate about connecting children to their past, their communities, different cultures, and I am so, so thrilled to be welcoming, drumroll please, yeah. <laughs> Alda P. Dobbs, the author of Barefoot Dreams of Petroluna and The Other Side of the River. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you, E-Train. It's truly an honor. I'm, I'm very humbled to be here by your words, too. And it's just so exciting. I've been looking forward to this since I think it was summer last year that I reached out to you. And uh, yeah, I, I remember I heard about you. And as quick as I could, I went to my computer and, you know, it's like, hey, hey, you know, can you consider me? So uh, it's an honor. Thank you so much. Well, it's an honor for me as well, because from the moment I first saw Barefoot Dreams of Petroluna, from the moment I first read the first page, I was hooked, and mm -hmm. I could not wait for the interview. And then when I found out you had a sequel, I knew I had to jump on that and read The Other Side of the River as well. Oh. And now into the questions. Sure. So my first question for you is, so both Barefoot Dreams of Petroluna and The Other Side of the River are heartwarming as well as heart-wrenching stories of Petra's determination to survive and travel to a better life. I was just so moved by your writing, and I read that Petra's stories are actually based on the real-life journey of your great-grandmother during the time of the Mexican Revolution. Can you share what inspired you to write about your great-grandmother's expedition, I guess you could say? Sure. Yes, yeah, no, I, I grew up listening to family stories ever since I was three, four years old since I have, you know, that I remember stuff like that. I remember hearing uh, stories from my, my great-grandmother, from my grandmother, and my mom would tell all these stories. And of course, it would add all that emotion into it. So I was really inspired by those stories. And one of them that really interests me was of my great-grandmother when she was escaping the, the fleeing the Mexican Revolution, you know, all the horrors of that war. And she was trying to reach north for safety. And, uh, I heard about the turmoil that was at the border and her trying to cross and the near death situation that she she had there at the bridge. And uh, this story, I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to research it, see if it was really true. And I checked out a bunch of books on the Mexican Revolution, about 40 books in English and Spanish, some of them really, really thick, thick books. And it took me two years to read them all. And after those two years, there was nothing in there that mentioned that turmoil at the bridge. And my great-grandmother had said it was that, uh, hundreds of people around her. So I said, how can a powerful story not be in a book like this? And I was about to quit after two years. So I, I was really, really tired of, you know, not finding anything about it. But a librarian saved the day. And that librarian said, you know, there's these resources you could try out. And one of them was uh, having access to old newspapers in Texas really old from the 1800s. So I picked the date, which was the start of the Mexican Revolution, and began reading newspapers starting with that date. And eventually, after seven months, I found an article that depicted that, that story, that told that story that my great-grandmother had always told. 
And just to see it there in print, you know, it had happened. It was real. Everything she had described was in there. The only thing she was off about was that she said it was hundreds of people around her and it was actually thousands. There were 7,000 people that crossed a bridge wow. that day. So I said, you know what, a powerful story like this, I, I have to tell the world about it. And my aim is to hopefully inspire other people to seek their own stories and to find out, you know, what happened and then to share them with the, with the rest of the world. So that was my inspiration. You were originally an engineer, as I previously said. So mm -hmm. what really kind of kind of clicked, I guess you could say, was it like an aha moment when you were like, I want to pursue storytelling. I want to be a middle grade author and share my great grandmother's story. Yeah, that's a great question, because I, I was born in Mexico and I moved to the United States. And um, even though I moved here at a very young age, everything around me was in Spanish. My whole neighborhood spoke in Spanish. My mom, my family, the little lady at the at the corner store, everything was in Spanish. English wasn't introduced to me until I started kindergarten. And the, the teacher I had in kindergarten was wasn't the most patient. He got really frustrated with me and another immigrant boy because we couldn't learn English fast enough. Uh, so I was terrorized, you know, by because he would burst, you know, into anger when we couldn't learn it fast enough. So and I had him for three years. I had him for kinder, second and fourth grade. And by, you know, kinder and second grade, I was terrorized by English and by him. Fourth grade, I knew English a little bit better, but uh I, I just couldn't stand English anymore. I, I developed that whole terror and fear I had towards English became kind of like a feeling of defiance. I just rebelled against English and I didn't want to read. I didn't want to write books or anything that dealt with English. I don't want to touch it. <laughs> and, and I, it was kind of a, a trauma and, but stories, I love stories. I love listening to family stories. I love, you know, being told stories by anybody. And I would share those stories and imagine a lot of things. And I never made that connection between books and stories. And fast forward to when I was in high school, I was riding a, a public bus because I used to work at a mall. And right after the mall shut down and I, uh, or close for the day, I finished work, went, went to the bus, put my uh, backpack down. And right before I put my backpack down, somebody had left a copy, had forgotten a copy of, um, of a book there. And I picked it up wondering what it was. And it was Catcher in the Rye which is a book a little for older kids. But uh, I said, you know what? I finished my homework. Let me read this book. So I started reading the book. And as I read it, I was blown away. I just said, oh my goodness, I, this is wonderful. You know, I can put the book down. I read it the whole night. I went home, stayed up the whole night, read it. And the next morning I had to get ready for school. And I shared it and I said, this is magic. I want to do this magic one day. This is wonderful because the character's nothing like me. You know, it's completely opposite, yet I feel everything that character feels. So I said, okay, I want to be a writer. You know, that idea came to me. But my grades in English were terrible. And then when I got to college, I we took entrance exams. I did well in math and science, but English I did horrible. <laughs> so I told myself, you know what? This is a universe telling me not to become a writer, to put that dream away. So I did that. I put the dream away. I pursued physics and engineering, but those stories, you know, they kept bubbling inside me. They wanted to come out. And it wasn't until my thirties that my husband said, Hey, you know, why would you start writing? You've always wanted to be a writer. And he's the one that really pushed me. And uh, I'm glad because that's, you know, and it was this fear of English, you know, that I always had growing up, but like I tell young readers and people who aspire to write in order to be a writer, you don't have to write perfect English or speak it perfectly. 
all you have to do is be a good storyteller. You just have to be a good storyteller. And that's what's most important. You know, the rest, you know, it could come with practice. You have people that help you revise and edit the work. So there's, there's that thing, just the storytelling. That's what's important. My next question is, what was the writing process like? I ask a lot of authors, but this is kind of more of a, I guess you could say it's autobiographical, but also kind of fictional that has a lot of elements to it so what was the writing process like for creating the barefoot dreams of petra luna and then also the other side of the river it, it was interesting because remember my background's in science and engineering and even though i'd always been a writer you know i'd always written reports for engineering proposals you're always pitching a story yeah so i kept telling myself look you just have to do it a little different more creative writing and I, so I started reading. I read a lot, a ton of books that I kind of regretted not having started earlier. Um, and I envy kids that I see your age that, that have all these books, like my daughter. Oh my goodness, she reads so many books a year. And uh, I feel like I'm playing catch up constantly, but it's good, you know? And, and uh, so my process was reading a lot of books and, and learning just the, the craft, you know, of how sentences were formed. How there's also a technique, just like in engineering, if you want to construct something, the same thing. In order to construct a story, there's elements that you got to put together and combine them in such a way for it to work. And a sentence as well, you know, there's style, different styles of sentences for writers, but, you know, you you got to learn how it plays with that scene and that theme and stuff like that. So that I had to learn that. And also the 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 thick skin, right? You have to have a thick skin because you will get a lot of rejections, and uh, it's something you gotta just you know realize that the people are critiquing your work. They're not critiquing you. You know, don't take it personal. It's just your work, and you you can improve your work. So you got to keep that in mind, and the perseverance. You know, you just gotta keep at it. And that's one thing I um, I always like. You know. That's something that helped me a lot through my, not even in, not only just in writing, but in, in every career when I was in physics and engineering is that uh, mentors, mentors help a ton. And I always tell people, no matter what career field you choose, find that mentor. Every time you get to a new place of work or school, look at someone who's been there five years longer than you, you know, and ask yourself, you know, who do I want to be in five years from now or 10 years from now? And go to that person and say, hey, how did you get here? You know, what did you do? And, and try, you know, because a lot of people are happy to take you under their wing and show you the ways. So that helped me a lot. I had wonderful mentors to, to help me write these books. And it did take some time because I was learning how to write, learning how to do the research. You know, I, a lot of stuff I didn't realize that for one, that librarians are there to help you. I, as an engineer, I would go into the library, grab books, go, go into my dorm room and just do the, the work. And I didn't realize that uh, there's, you could speak to the library and they'll show you the, you know, many, many resources out there that are helpful, that will make your job easier. And I didn't know that, you know, until somebody told me, go to the library, make an appointment. And I looked at them and said, are you sure you could do this? And they said, yeah, that's what libraries are there for. And I said, oh, I thought they were just there to tell you to, you know, be quiet or, you know, or where the books are at. But no, they they are very helpful. And this book wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't, if it weren't for librarians. Librarians, you know, save the day. So that was my my writing process in terms of research. And then, you know, I, I had to find ways to learn how to write. And it was by reading, reading a lot of books. My next question for you is more about, so we've been talking about storytelling, but I also wanted to dive into like the nonfiction kind of aspects. So this story is all, well, at least for Barefoot Dreams of Petra Luna, it's set in Mexico during the Mexican Revolution, and it was a big battle between the Federales and the Revolucionarios. So can you tell us 
how this big conflict really started and what came of it? Yes, it's something that I grew up, you know, I would always hear the stories, but I never got, you know, what what exactly happened, you know, why did the revolution come about? And I kind of would put the pieces together, but they were too clear. And it wasn't until I started the research with this book. And it is a very complicated war. You know, there's a lot of, um, uh, for any grown up out there listening to me, I compare this to uh, to Game of Thrones, you know, because there's a lot of people, you know, trying to t- overcome and, and take control and take power. Or I also compare to Star Wars a lot, you know, where you have the evil empire, the, the rebels, um, and it's a it's a universal story, right? You have the oppressed people fighting against the oppressor. So that's what happened in Mexico that they they had these haciendas. They were these estates, and there were thousands and thousands of acres, and it was owned by one family. And that family was, you know, really really wealthy, and they would control, you know, the peasants living there, uh, and they would take away the lands because of the government. The government, you know, it's like I said, it's very complicated I try to explain it better in the book and I, and I think I, I do better than I do here uh I try to explain it in this conversation but but yeah there was a lot of a big group of oppressed people the, the poor people the peasants and until there was an uprise they said you know what we're gonna fight our oppressor and they started wanting to take their lands back and have opportunities for their kids because majority of kids had to work during this time only 20 percent of the population could read and write so that means 80% was illiterate. So it was easy to take advantage of that population that was illiterate, you know, because not only were they economically disadvantaged, they were poor, but they were illiterate as well. And uh, and the haciendas, like I said, some haciendas were really, really big, these estates. And uh, like the Terrazas family, their hacienda was the size of Connecticut and Rhode Island put together. So if you can imagine, you know, millions of acres and all that belonged to one family. And a lot of this land was being taken away from the poor. So, of course, you're, you're going to have that uprise. And, and the hacendados, the haciendas were so common in Mexico that if you look back at the statistics, land ownership in Mexico during that time was only 1%. So only 1% of Mexicans own land. So that means 99% do not own land. So that's a huge disparity right there. I mean, just you know, catastrophic disparity that this is what happens. You have an uprise. And fortunately, it was very, very brutal. A lot of people, you know, perished during this, but a lot of people emigrated, you know, they went north, like my great grandmother. And at the end of the revolution, a lot of people went back to Mexico, uh, like like my great grandmother, she went back, but a lot of people remained in the United States. At the end of the revolution, 2 million people remained in the United States, 2 million Mexicans, and that changed the country forever, which is not mentioned, you know, a lot in books and and, uh, stuff like that. So it's important to know that, you know, that impact. And also that's the reason why I did the other side of the river because in my great grandmother's story, she went back to Mexico, but I always wondered what her life would have been like had she remained in the United States. Because when she went back, she said it was a disaster. Everything was burned to the ground. Villages were completely destroyed and it was almost impossible to start. So I I said, you know what? I'm gonna put Petra Luna in San Antonio and see how she fares because a lot of people were competing for resources, for uh, works, for housing. And that's why I wanted to put Petra Luna there. Well, you spoke about how 80% of Mexicans were illiterate. And that really got me thinking, like, I mean, I know I've only had like a minute to think and you've been, and I've also been listening <laughs> to this story, but it's just, wow. And the fact that 99% of 
Mexicans didn't own land. I just want to take a second to really understand the complexity of that. That's just astonishing. Yeah, it is, right? It is. Exactly. And, and that's what I tell children. If you listen to these family stories, you realize that things repeat themselves. They happen again over and over. You know, that, that crisis at the border that my great-grandmother crossed over 100 years ago, you look at that same border now, and guess what? You have the same crisis happening again. The refugee camps that my great-grandmother was in, we have refugee camps now. And uh, so many things repeat themselves. Like back, right now we have COVID. Back then they had uh, smallpox. And when those refugees came across, like my great-grandmother with those 7,000 people, a lot of people in the United States and Eagle Pass were scared. They said, no, send them back. Send them back right now because what if they have smallpox and we all get sick and die? Well, the U.S. Army who opened the gates, you know, for those refugees said, no, we can't send them back because the federalists are there. We're sending them to their death. We cannot do that to them. How about we quarantine them? We vaccinate everybody and keep it under control. Luckily for my great-grandmother, they didn't send her back. Otherwise, it would have been a, a different history. But yeah, that just shows you the importance of learning these stories because you see that it happens again. So when you start seeing those disparities again, right, between education, uh, economic advantages and stuff like that, you know, just be aware that things happen. There, there's always a consequence for stuff like that. Do you mind sharing if you will be sharing a little bit more in Petroluna's journey in any future books? Or if you're not, do you have any other writing projects you're working on? Yeah, so I'm working on book three right now, but it's not Petro Luna. It's a completely different uh, setting, uh, oh. character, but it's going to be based more on my own childhood experiences in San Antonio. So yeah, be, be in the lookout for that. And Petro Luna, I have plenty of Petro Luna in me. So I, I told people, you know, if you want to, you know, let my publisher know and maybe we could work something out. So my next question is, so you talked about how this is about your great grandmother's journey, but you also did a lot of research in libraries looking and lurking through books and newspaper articles. So how much of Petra Luna's journey is really based off of your great grandmother and how much did you discover through research, whether it's online or books or from other people who kind of face the same experiences? Yeah, that's a great question because it's a when you write a book, it's a mesh of a lot of your experiences and stories you've heard. So the the core of the story of the little girl crossing the desert to get to the border, yes, that was my great-grandmother. She was trying to run away from the Federalists, but a lot of other details within the story happened to my grandmother, her daughter, because she was really poor too. And uh, for instance, there's a scene there where Coins are thrown at her by the rich lady who doesn't want to pay her and then throws the coins at her. That happened to my grandmother and uh, she was delivering wood. They didn't want to pay her and she asked for the money and they threw the money at her face and it fell on the, on the floor. The woman's the lady's uh, husband went and picked up the coins and gave them to my and wanted to hand them to my grandmother, but my grandmother wouldn't take them. She did not take them. And she didn't have a little sister like Petra has Amelia. And Amelia kind of convinces her, hey, we need this money. We need to eat. Well, my grandmother didn't have anyone next to her. And she just told the man flat out, you know, straight out, I'm not going to take your money and I'm not going to deliver wood anymore. And she was 12 years old and she walked away from that. And uh, and it, it's it, that story stayed with me. So I added that to my book. And there was other uh, events too within the book that happened to my grandmother and also uh, that uh, tension between Abuelita and Petra Luna that Petra wants to learn how to read and write 
Abuelita doesn't see the point to it. I felt that was a little bit of my experience coming here with my mother as an immigrant. I wanted to graduate, you know, I graduated high school and she was really excited because, you know, she only finished the eighth grade. So she said, okay, great. You're set. That's, that's great. And I said, no, but I want to go to college. And she didn't at first didn't understand why the importance of college. And I said, well, more opportunity. So there was that tension between us. Finally, I got my degree. Then I decided to get my master's. And again, she said, why, <laughs> why do we, you don't need this. You have, you get a good job. So there's always that uh, different views, you know, different perspectives from different generations. And, you know, she loves me. I know just like Abuelita loves Petra, but, you know, you see the world in different ways. So I wanted to put that in there. So yeah, it's a mixture of stories I heard, experiences I've seen that I felt that I put into the story. Wow. And so the title Barefoot Dreams of Petra Luna comes from Petra Luna's desire to read and write and how Abuelita calls her dreams barefoot dreams. You can't achieve those, she says, if you have no shoes on your feet and you're working hard every day to receive barely any pay. That yeah. rhymes. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I, I just, I found Petra's story that much more like wow factor, I guess you could say, because I can't imagine the challenges that she faced and also the adversity that she faced, not just from having that physical crossing across Mexico that must have been so draining, but it was also emotionally as well. So I'm just really curious for my next question. Uh Uh, Can you just, did your great-grandmother also really, really want to read and write? Or was that also kind of based off of your experience that you faced like with your mother or Petra faced with her abuelita? That's a great question. Yeah, no, my grandmother, great grandmother, she wanted to read and write, but her, my, she was part, part of that 80%, but her, when she went back to Mexico, she never had the opportunity to learn. Mm-hmm. And then my grandmother, my grandmother is the one with the biggest, boldest spirit. She was a fighter to the end. Was, my great grandmother was too, but my grandmother was just uh, amazing. And at nine, she snuck into a school, you know, while she was working, she saw a school and said, you know, I want to learn how to read and write. So she went there and uh, her family find out, found out within a day or two that she wasn't working. They pulled her out and said, you can't do this. You have to work. You can't go to school. And she was pretty upset because she really wanted to go to school. And she figured, you know what? At nine, she told herself, and I can't believe she was nine years old when she thought this to herself, but she said, you know what? I'm never going to go to school because I have to work, but I want to learn how to read and write and I'm going to figure it out. So every time she met someone who knew how to read and write, she'd ask them, what does this word say? What does that word say? Little by little, she started breaking down sounds and letters. And by the time she was 12, she figured it out on her own, how to read and write. So to me, that blows my mind that a child could be that determined at nine and say, yes, I will accomplish this and then follow through. My next question for you is when I ask every single person that I've ever interviewed, no pressure or anything. Um, Uh If you could be or meet any literary character, it could be your favorite author or your favorite character in a book. Who would you want to meet or who would you want to maybe be for a day and why? Oh, my goodness. That's a tough one. That's a tough one because I just have so many favorite books. Yeah. But uh, I'd say, oh my Lord, um, I'd say probably 
the in the Hunger Games. Uh, I know that book's a little for older kids and it's a YA, but uh, the the protagonist there, um, yeah, Katniss, Katniss. Yeah, yeah, Katniss. Uh, is it Everdeen? Yeah, Katniss Everdeen. Just her spirit, how tough she is, and um, and maybe I would have liked to have met her when I was a teenager, when I was her age, because I find a lot of resemblances. I was the oldest of four girls. My mom was a single mom and I had to help my mom pay the bill. So I was always working after school and making sure they were okay, helping them with homeworks and stuff like that. And so when I read that character's book, I'm like, oh my goodness, this, this reminds me of myself. So I, I just wanted to hug her and say, it's going to be okay. You know, hang in there. You're doing good. And that's probably one character I always gravitated to. Well, I, the, the character Katniss Everdeen, I read The Hunger Games in school this year and I just wow like it was just mind-blowing her awesomeness I guess yeah I love her yeah she's tough I I, it's one of my favorite characters and as a matter of fact her style uh Suzanne Collins the way she writes Mm -hmm. that fast pacing I studied that book so much while I was writing Barefoot Dreams of Petra Luna I just because I wanted to give her give it that same fast pace you know uh tone or, or feeling to it well, you certainly, you were fast-paced and slow at the same time. Like, you had the perfect speed. And even if, I, like, you just kept me interested the entire time, like the Hunger Games really did for me. So you did a great job on that oh, part. And okay. all parts of Barefoot Dreams of Petroluna and the other side of the river. Oh, thank you. And now my final question for you is, if you were trapped on a deserted island and could only bring one book, what book would it be and why? Oh my lord. Oh, that's even tougher. Um don't twist it to be like a notebook or I mean actually you can. Oh, I, I just read recently because I've read a lot of books on writing and I've read this book that's called A Swim in a Pond Swim in a Pond in the on the Rain or A Swim in the Rain in the Pond. Oh, I can't remember. Oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm forgetting it. Do I have it around here? A swim in a pond in the rain in the rain, yeah. So that one, I love that one because it's, uh, he teaches a course in uh, Syracuse, a writing course, and he talks about the, 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 the Russian Renaissance, pretty much of the writers that they had, Chekhov, uh, Tchaikovsky, I mean, not Tchaikovsky, but uh, all these great Russian writers, and he, he goes over those short stories. So he, he covers, I believe, five or six short stories, reads them all, and, uh, and then he analyzes each one like and he used to be an engineer that the writer you know professor so I love the way his analysis the way he sees things and uh I was amazed too because I was like he analyzes like an engineer when I found that he was an engineer I'm like oh my goodness he is an engineer but I love the way he he you know has the stories and then he breaks down each one each scene so and I have to go back and reread the story and then reread what he says just to because I gain something every time I do that. But uh, yeah, it's it's just a, an amazing book. So yeah, I, I would probably take that book with me because I have a lot of short stories in there that I could read. Yeah, and you could use like the branches and turn it into paper or you could like use the sand and write your own short stories. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and, it, and they're amazing short stories that each one is so different too, that you get a different sense and, and so entertaining. You know, it feels like you're there at that moment of the story. So yeah, I would get transported to different situations at different times. Well, everybody, my guest today has been the one and only amazing Alda P. Dobbs. And if you've not yet read 
Barefoot Dreams of Petroluna and the other side of the river, you need to. Uh-huh. They are beyond like I could use every adjective in the dictionary to describe oh. these. There there's just everything in a good way. No, and that, that's the thing. There, I mean, Barefoot Dreams of Petroluna, yes, it's it's inspired by my family, but that story's not unique to to my family or to Mexicans. I think it's a universal story that applies to so many Americans that that struggle to come to this country. And like in the second book that I give her an, a mentor who's an Irish nun and her backstory is coming from Ireland during the famine. And she tells Petra, look, just because we struggle to come to this country doesn't mean that the struggle's over, the fight's over. No, it continues here. You know, you're still struggling, even though you're in the United States. There are more opportunities. Yeah, there's vast opportunities, but the hard work is still there. So that's something we got to realize about our ancestors, how much they worked to get here to get us, give us the life that we have now, you know, stuff we take for yeah. granted. And uh, so, yeah, this story is just, you know, I, I was trying to aim for that, that to let people know, yeah, this is a universal story. It really is a universal story. And everybody, once again, read these books. <laughs> I guarantee that you'll want to read them over and over again, and you'll learn something new each time. And oh. keep on reading, yep. keep on writing, and all of you, I will see you in the next one and read these books.